Hi, I'm Erica Darvis. Hi, I'm Amy Randolph. And you're listening to Podcast Rewind. We are two best friends talking hot topics and all of the podcasts that we're totally obsessed with. So come please be our friend on social media. You can find us at Podcast RWD on Instagram and Twitter, and then head over to Facebook and search Podcast Rewind. You can listen to our show wherever you're already listening to your favorite podcasts. Stitcher, iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, wherever that is, make sure that you rate, review, and subscribe because we need your stars to keep this show going. Cheers. Cheers. Let's talk podcasts. Hello, welcome back to Podcast Rewind. This is episode 43. I'm one of your hosts, Amy Randolph. Sitting with me is... Hey, everybody. And this is the other half of Podcast Rewind, Erica Jarvis. Yay. So, Podcast Rewind. We are a podcast about podcasts. and a new twist. Ever expanding into more other types of media and talking in general about podcasts, talking about um, new hot topics, pop culture items, all as two best friends sitting down at a table together in our podcast room, having a bevy. Cheers. Cheers. Amy, I think we are like the view of podcasts. Sure. You know what I mean? Maybe I'm the Joy Behar. Or I don't know if you want to be Elizabeth Hasselbeck. You have a lot of things printed out around the I room do. right now. No, if I can choose, obviously I want to be Mare Bear. Oh, I forgot. Yeah, Mare, Mare Bear. Fiera, the yeah. original moderator. Oh, when in doubt, always try to be Mare Bear. One of my heroes. Yes. Absolutely. But like, like you said, we are drinking because they don't drink on The View. That's a very Hoda Look, it's Kathy Lee moment. Not that I would judge if they did, but maybe they should to chill out just a bit. Listen, lately they need a solid chill pill. So Um, what are you drinking tonight with our podcast? I'm returning to an old fave, something I've had on this podcast at least three to four, maybe half a dozen times. Uh Uh-huh. Lagunitas. IPA. That's a really good one. It is, and it's strong, too. I, I think I might already be drunk, even though I've only had a half of one, because I just poured the other half on the carpet as we sat down to podcast. 100%. So, that's me today. Nice. Well, I am indulging tonight Yes. a wee bit of iced coffee, <laughs> a huge thing of iced water, and then a red blend that I got. And I completely forgot the name. It's got a heart on it. It's cute. We can put it in the show notes. But just generic red wine. Okay, Ramona. I need a glass for my ice. I need a glass with a straw and a lime. Uh-huh. I need, and also a man can ask if I want another drink. I hope everybody gets that reference. If you don't, I don't know what you're doing listening to this podcast. <laughs> right? There's going to be a lot of Bravo references. Um, no, I'm just really thirsty. And... <laughs> Need a little boost because if I can slide into our obsessions of the week, sure. I am testing out a five-day challenge that I put upon myself, trying to wake up at 6.30 a.m. every day. And they say, try, you know, setting your clock back an hour, you know, give yourself another hour in the morning. And there are times I'm still in bed at like 8 o'clock, like, I don't <laughs> want to do this. And my girlfriends in California are already texting me because they're up already getting ready to tackle the day, go to the gym, do everything before work. And I'm like, oh, I'm three hours ahead and not out of bed yet. I need to be less of an asshole. So (laughs) today... A little bit of friend shaming really helps shape you up. It really does. And so um, I started this morning, set my alarm for 6.30, hopped out of bed. I said, okay, Google, wake me up with 
stand out by like a goofy movie or something like that. Like I needed something really motivational. You so, Zennial. Wednesday alarm. <laughs> she woke up. I hope her. everybody just heard that I woke up my phone and it's trying to ask when it wants to set an alarm for me. It's Let me weird close tomorrow. that out because remember the time um, my phone just randomly opened because it heard us talking and started playing an old Seinfeld clip that we had looked up. I absolutely do remember. It's one oh, of my favorite friendship moments. It was the best because it's the whole George Costanza <laughs> voicemail. Everyone go YouTube it. It's amazing. Believe it or not, George isn't at home. <laughs> Where could he be? Where could he be? But I'm home because I'm having a little bit of coffee and I should be a lot more awake for this pod than I was Two and a half minutes ago. Probably. Potentially you'll be loopy and fun, or else you'll just start snoozing halfway through and I'll take over. Yeah, definitely. So we'll see how I fare tomorrow. So if you see me over the next couple of days and I'm dragging, buy me a coffee, guys. <laughs> you could Venmo her. Just a Starbucks Ooh. gift card. Yeah, Erica Dash Jarvis on Venmo, I think. <laughs> Absolutely. Why not? I'm obsessed. First of all, I think we have an obsession shout-out to a local loyal listener. Yeah, Turns Laura. out, uh, best friend of the pod, Beth, ran into a listener, Laura, whoever yeah. you are, who recognized Beth's voice from the Bird Brains episode yeah. that we recorded in Tybee Island. We were on a girl's trip. Our friend Beth was with us, so we forced her to pee on the podcast. Yeah. And this woman heard Beth talking at an event and came up to her and was like, I know your voice. And they, she finally pieced it out like, you were on this podcast that I listened to. So, thank you for listening, Laura. Yes. So diligently. Yeah, please. May send I us say. a tweet or slide into our DMs. <laughs> yeah. Say hi. We'd love to get to know you better and say thank you for listening. Yeah, it was really cool when Beth shared that and she was like, oh, Laura wants me on the pod again. And we're like, calm down. You get like once a year, B. Yeah, we need Laura's side of that story. Yes. Yeah. So, reach out to us, Laura. We'd love to know who you are. And my real obsession this week is one that I'm going to preface with. It's like a pre-obsession. It's mm-hmm. a, um, I am, uh, what's that word were you? Anticipating? Anticipating, no, prophesizing an oh, obsession okay. for myself because it hasn't happened yet. Yeah. The Murphy Brown reboot Yay. comes on television, re-debuts, I suppose, yes. on Thursday night, and I'm so, so excited. Same. Now, I, I am hesitant to bring this up. Hesitant? Hesitant. And it's because last year, mm-hmm. I, with the new fall television show started, this podcast was just starting, and I said, I'm so obsessed that Roseanne is returning to television, and boy, did that go south. She returned all right. She sure did. Uh, Not and, great. And, you know, they say if you're going to get fired, go out with a bang. <laughs> and, uh, you know, bitch went out Hard. Yeah, she did. So, and look, that show, I mean, I watched the first few episodes. I was entertained. I wasn't hooked. You know, there was a lot of great stuff from the original that, you know, I felt sentimental towards. But ultimately, it just didn't hang on to me. So, I I do, as much as I loved Roseanne back in the day, I think I really also adored Murphy Brown. I remember watching it live on television with my family as it was being ran the first time. And then I was in college when it returned to TV land. Oh, or no, yeah. I'm sorry, Nick at Night yes. first, and then TV land. And reliving it as a young woman about mm-hmm. to enter the workforce, I just felt more in love with it all over again. So it almost feels like, just, just let her go. Okay, the podcast's being terrible, and you know what? We'll fix it later. You know, she's ripping up the carpet. Just whatever. Sad panda. She's, she's done a lot worse around here. 
Uh, at least she didn't pour beer, pour beer on the floor. Yeah, the so, two of you tonight are a hot mess on yeah. this carpet. So just, she's going to be naughty. You will hear her crashing around in the background like you guys always do. But anyway, um, Murphy Brown, don't let me down. I don't think that she, well, Candice Bergen is a queen among queens. Her whole thing on Instagram, where she, like Bergen bags, where she paints like salads on Birkins or like a Louis Vuitton and dogs. dogs. You can send her a picture of your dog and Uh she'll paint a portrait of it on a very expensive designer bag. bag. But she's so rad. I mean, she's in one of the greatest movies of all time. Miss Congeniality. Miss Congeniality. I knew where you were going with that. So good. I'm really excited for Murphy Brown too as somebody who was a woman in the journalism world for 0.2 seconds. (laughs) Briefly. Briefly made. No waves in that world. <laughs> Dreams change. Dreams change. Dreams As come true. Careers. They do. But you know what? Hmm. I think podcasting is kind of like a form of journalism, if you will. Well, sure. Some podcasts are journalistic. Some think they're journalistic. Some are just here to talk trash. And some are kind of taking over. Well, yeah. I mean, have been on this rush for a while. And it's a specific genre. Yep. Um, one that I listen to frequently. And if you are a loyal listener like Laura, <laughs> you know that I'm obsessed with true crime podcasts yes. and really all things true crime. Correct. So, like, that's not news or anything. Mm-hmm. So, why are we talking about it? I read an article online this week about my favorite murder, actually, and some of the kind of trials that they're going through right now as a podcast and their identity and also you know, their fandom and the super fandom and is it almost uh, acting as a detriment to their show. And uh, the author of the article was clearly to me not a true crime as entertainment fan. So I read this article last week and you and I started, I brought it to your attention. I saw you for happy hour with with best friend of the pod, Beth, actually. And we talked about this article a little bit and then we talked more and more about it over the week and decided that it should be a conversation to have on the podcast. And it should be because I'm not a massive true crime fan. I'll sprinkle it in if it's something that is, you know, like S-Town or Dirty John or things like that that are really hitting like the top of the charts that I'm like, oh, I'm going to like, you know, pay attention to that one. But it's not my go-to in any form of entertainment. And so I think that I always love to hear what you have and even off of the podcast, you'll talk to me about a show or something. Mm-hmm. So I do think that we kind of live that polar opposites of, well, not even polar opposites because it's not like I hate it, right. but it's just not a go-to of mine. I think most people fall into a category of being into it or being appalled by it. Uh-huh. And there is a small, you know, Venn diagram middle yeah. section that is interested, but not a voracious fan. Correct. And so... Um, you know, people being obsessed with true crime stories is absolutely not new. Nope. But in the last five to six years, the bust of documentaries on channels like Netflix, um, also entire HBO. right entire cable stations are now dedicated twenty four hours to true crime. And of course, as podcasts get more and more popular, true crime podcasts are a huge section of of what makes up all of the podcasts. You looked that up today, right? Do you have stats? I do. So um, you're going to actually be really surprised. This is kind of like some Nielsen information that I was able to pull up. So fun fact, in 2017, 7 billion podcasts had been downloaded since the beginning of podcast time. Individual episodes, not like there's 7 billion different shows. Episodes of podcasts Mm -hmm. have been downloaded. Okay. But today... 
50 billion podcasts <gasps> have been downloaded. I mean, that is what? a massive fucking jump. So in the nine plus, a little bit over nine months of uh-huh. 2018, we have gone 43 crazy. million. How many of those were podcasts are we going to? A billion. <laughs> 43 billion. Not million. 43 billion. No, you said 50 billion, so I was subtracting the 7 billion that were previous and saying just since January 1st of... Correct. You just said million, so I was just correcting oh, that it's billion. No, I know what math is. Gotcha. I gotcha. Sorry. Oh, yeah, no, 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 that's okay. I didn't want people to be confused because... Billion. Billion is a fucking big number. Wow. So there are actually over 500,000 active shows on iTunes. Okay. And so from there... There are 18.5 million episodes available to download. There are over 100 languages in 155 countries. And this is where I think we're going to really enjoy these stats. There are 29 groupings of like localized editorial content that you can really find. So we live under society and culture because, mm-hmm. sure. We're, we're a grab bag show. Grab bag kind of show. But um, the top three genres okay. are comedy, uh-huh. education, mm-hmm. and news. Okay. Now, here's why I'm sharing all of that with you. Because there is no true crime genre. Really? There is not. So, Uh, I know you're a huge fan of My Favorite Murder. That lives under the comedy genre. Uh Uh-huh. And so, then other shows such as Dirty John, which, by the way, will be coming to E! as a scripted, real-life scripted TV show with Connie Britton and her hair. It's going to be amazing. Oh, yeah. But anyway... Um, shows like Dirty John and The First Degree that I've popped up on this show before, they all actually live under personal journals. Okay, I can so see that. So a lot of true crime lives under this very specific world where if you click on personal journals, you're going to get everything from like maybe meditation or gratitude and murder. But it's it's like a one-person story, so it falls into that kind I of think, journal. You know, they really of- didn't explain too, too much, but because we <coughs> can't Excuse me. count how many true crime podcasts are out there because they're not living under a true crime subcategory, and they should. You know, if they were on Pornhub, you'd be able to search that keyword. And you could be so specific, too. Like, teenage girl killed by stepfather in (laughs) barn in the Midwest. And they'd be like, oh, here's 17 pages to choose from. Please refer back to the podcast where I talked about Pornhub and not think that I just actually know that as a It was a thing. the Butterfly Effect episode, I Butterfly think. Effect. Yes. Um, but, I mean, people are listening to podcasts at an alarming rate. 44% of the population has said that they've listened to a podcast or currently listening to podcasts. Fab. And then from there, about 50% of podcasts are listened at home. Okay. So, I think we are a huge component of that. Like, getting ready in the morning, there are conflicting mm-hmm. podcasts going on in this apartment. I'm listening Always. to something pop culture you might be listening to a little bit more murder. Look, I did my shower and got ready to a murder podcast like three days last week. Yeah. I picked Danny Pellegrino this uh-huh. morning a little bit lighter for a Monday. Yeah. But sometimes I'm like, dude, it's like 730. You're brushing your teeth and like listening to this dude get hacked up on a uh-huh. podcast. What's wrong with you? Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, you're not alone because like I said, half of the podcasts are listened to at home. And then another 22% are listened to in cars. I believe that. I'm yeah, always I mean, driving down the road, nobody has any idea what you're listening to. Is it NPR? Somebody get hacked by a chainsaw? <laughs> Who knows? But yeah, like we said, podcasts are, and I think obviously that's why we are here, podcasts are at their all-time high, but then these true crime podcasts are coming out every other day. Yeah, and it's interesting that you mentioned that My Favorite Murder lives under the comedy genre because... 
more and more comedy oriented podcasts are coming out. And I think it's due to the success of my favorite murder. Yeah. Um, and so that leads back to the conversation of these are true crime stories. This is the worst thing that's ever happened to somebody and their families. And people are intaking those stories as entertainment and even laughing at them. Mm -hmm. And they're presented in a comedic way. Yeah. So, there are people who are having the conversation about the moral and ethical implications of listening to, like I said, a tragedy, uh-huh. but getting enjoyment out of it. Yeah. So that's where I think you and I, you and I have been fascinated by that, and we've had conversations. You know, when we started this podcast, and I was pretty apologetic about talking oh. about true crime, and we get off the mic, and you would like lecture me, like you stop that right now. It's popular; people yeah. are into it. Don't be afraid. Be like you're not freak, literally not alone. Let your freak true crime flag fly, and talk about it. And I will definitely say that I have been a true crime kind of fan my whole life. I've said it before. You know, I've watched 2020 growing up as a kid and, like, looked forward to Friday nights because I could stay up late to the 10 o'clock hour. It's all about that John Stoss on that stash. (laughs) Totes. Totes. And then um, the Investigation Discovery channel came up. I think that was the first true crime-only channel. I mean, True TV was in C-SPAN, whereas, like, back in the day, C-SPAN was... The first time you could ever watch a, a trial, trial, and it was the Menendez brothers, and that was one of the most insane stories people had heard of in a long, long time. Absolutely. It's definitely gripping, and like I was saying earlier, and it's mentioned in some of these articles that I'm going to bring up, true crime as entertainment isn't necessarily new, but the, it's it's changed in its format and presentation yes. style. So, I mean, the entire country was gripped by the Menendez brothers. Yeah. In the 90s, you had JonBenet uh, Simpson, I was about to say, <laughs> JonBenet Ramsey and O.J. Simpson. And the, I mean, just fascination. The whole country was mm-hmm. gripped by those things. And so to jump in, one of the things that, one of the articles I read was from one of my favorite entertainment websites, Vulture. Oh. So and um, Alice Bolin put out an article just in August of 2018, so it's very recent, and it's titled The Ethical Dilemma of Highbrow True Crime. Cool. So just to jump in, do you have any other stats before I kind of like go on? No, my God. Honestly, fun fact, I didn't write it all down, but there <laughs> are deep stats into the fact that like people who listen to podcasts purchase juice more often than people that don't listen to podcasts. I mean, they were doing market analysis research on, like, people who listen to podcasts tend to purchase this kind of, um, like, milk beverage. I mean, coconut or almond. I mean, it went down to the science of all of this interesting stuff that I was just like, eh, doesn't pertain to true crime, but I guess that's a fun fact for a party later on. Like, Yeah, yeah. no, good, good to party, know. Fun, fun facts at parties. <laughs> so this Vulture article talks, okay, and the podcast's on the table. Hi, Lolo. And she's done. Amy's anyway. going to have only one cat tomorrow. <laughs> Speaking of murder. The other one is sleeping peacefully somewhere. Speaking of murder. Um, okay, so from this article, talks about the new true crime boom is simply a matter of volume and uh, shamelessness. Mm-hmm. The wide array of crime stories we can now openly indulge in uh, with conventions of true crime genre more empathetically repeated and codified, more creatively expanded and trespassed against. So to break that down, basically the premise of this article is we've always been fascinated with it as a people, as a society. We've always followed it, but the um, 
the all-day presentation on ID discovery of these packaged shows, like things called uh, Southern Fried Homicide. Yeah. And, you know, evil murderers, deadly women. That's kind of the the lowbrow category of true crime. Like, it is in your face. They do those cheesy reenactments. You've got some voiceover, you know, narrator who's got, like, this sickly, sweet kind of... And then, you know, their lives were forever changed. Um, That's, like, kind of the the lowbrow, trashy, sit down on your couch with popcorn and watch, you know, Deadly Women. But then there's this other type of show that's come out think about a serial mm-hmm. so it's presented by NPR right yeah and, it's, and nobody is smarter than that exactly you're listening to an NPR this American Life podcast you're like look at me she she with my tweet on <laughs> and you know we listen to Sarah Koenig so articulately bring us this journalistic documentary style 10 piece um, outline of this crime and um they were saying how people who think that they're smarter and think that this is the highbrow way of enjoying um, someone's personal tragedy. And it, Sarah does it so well. And Dirty John has done the same thing at making a murderer on Netflix. You're involved with the documentarian themselves. Mm-hmm. And so you're almost a step back from the murder and you're watching them investigate. Yeah. And you see, you know, you see even Sarah kind of being an amateur detective when she's like driving from the high school to the Best Buy yeah. and she make it in time and like that doesn't actually matter traffic conditions weather conditions it's 15 years later there's more yes. tra- you know that doesn't matter but we get sucked into that and you're you think that you're more highbrow but this um author was actually making the the case that um um, she had such a great way to put it, but she kind of, she said, she said to somebody, you know, like Dayline is really just, um, serial and somebody quipped in and said, yeah, but Dayline is posted by my friend, Sarah, <laughs> you know, it's like Sarah that, so oh, here's what, here it is. I've come to believe that addictiveness and advocacy are rarely compatible. If they were, why would the creators of making a murderer, uh, have advocated for one white man when the story of being victimized by a corrupt police force is common to so many across the U.S., uh, particularly people of color. Mm-hmm. So that's a quote from the article. That's not exactly the quote that I was looking for. Also a good point. But basically she's making the point that, like, it's not any better to, like, the highbrow stuff than the lowbrow stuff. The lowbrow stuff is more fun. The highbrow stuff just makes you feel better about watching it. Oh, yeah. I was listening to a great podcast today. The podcast is called From the Lighthouse. And it's very literary. Uh-huh. But I found one that they had called Murder They Spoke. Okay. And this is the rise of true crime podcasts and documentaries. And what they were saying is, yes, like you have mentioned earlier as well, we've been into true crime from the beginning. I mean, Sherlock Holmes, all of that stuff, people have cared about true crime and like Jack the Ripper that takes over a city and like people are now worried and thinking about these things. But for a very long time until recently in the last five or six years, we've been watching murder shows, but from a very different perspective. Yes. From a police force perspective. You have Law and Order, you have Blue Bloods, you have NYPD Blue, you have all these shows. People are dying. It's entertainment, but we're really looking at it from the side of police procedurals and the good guys. Right. And all those shows that you mentioned obviously are fictionalized, but a lot of them were based on stories ripped from the headlines in real life. But also, yes, but still the whole concept of crime, whether it's true or not, you know, people were interested in that. I mean, you've got all of those shows that were just taking over the 90s and like the 2000s. 
I would say was like the main tonic clock. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. But then they mentioned that podcast really broke from that police model. And when Sarah Koenig came out with Serial, it was like, well, we can talk about how the cops didn't handle this well or how Mm -hmm. the cops kind of didn't assist, you know, the victim or this person's behind jail. Hashtag free admin. Like nobody knows. But then you're starting to see a flip side to crime and think to yourself like, well, wait a minute. Like all, all those other shows told me to be on the side of the cops. Cops are good. But now I'm seeing so many different layers and where do I live? And podcasts and documentaries are starting to open that door for everybody. Right. So I think that if you're watching it from the cop point of view, it's so easy to be like, I'm on the side of good versus evil. And yeah. I like watching the cop get the bad guy who did yes. something terrible. Even though, so what we weren't recognizing is we were kind of voyeuristically wanting to watch the terrible thing happen. Uh-huh. Um, but we can do it under the guise of we're watching the bad guy or the good guys get the bad guy. Absolutely. Absolutely. And um, they talk about how like with the rise of crime stories showcasing like the full story, you've got the jinx. And like you mentioned, Making a Murderer, so many more documentaries we just talked about. Evil Genius on this show, the um, call, neck collar bomb yes. in Erie that Ooh. was down the street from where I lived there. And they talked a lot about how with these, we're now kind of listening as like a detective and like wanting to get to the punch or figure it out first before the host does or sure. before the detective does when we're watching Making a Murderer, we're wanting to get to those certain things. And it brings us along in the journey and makes us feel like we're there. Yeah, you know, in that article I was just referencing from Vulture, they talked about how it's almost a little bit potentially dangerous because the Reddit detectives uh-huh. and the armchair detectives are digging into, you know, what they can get their hands on from, you know, looking like um, public records and that kind of thing and creating their own... Um, theories that yep. they can spread on the internet. And I, I accidentally read that making a murder quote when I was actually looking for something else. But when they said, you know, being interested in something and being, um, or being compassionate towards something and like trying to, and being, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, proactive about it. Uh-huh. Like I'm going to step up and march for Adnan to be freed is not actually all that helpful. No. And it's because you have compassion for Adnan you know, like standing up and making this ruckus about freeing him and getting him another trial, it isn't actually maybe it's kind of leading to this dangerous thing where like the public is public opinion is becoming so large that it's forcing like even court systems to do their business differently. And is that ultimately hopeful? Yeah. I, you know, listening to this podcast, they talked about a few other ones, um, up and vanished. Mm-hmm. You listened to up and vanished, I've right? Listened to, um, one or two of them. I haven't yeah. seen through a full story. Well, I believe it was like a full length podcast about a murder. I think so. I think they've done seasons. I may yeah. be wrong. I know well, they started it and did not finish. Well, they mentioned that they couldn't finish it either. Uh. It just wasn't gripping enough and the host just wasn't doing right by the victim. And then halfway through the podcast in the real world, the murder was caught and it was like, all right, you're done. But the guy kept going with the podcast. I'm like, well, what are you doing? Like, we're done. The murder's solved. And so it made me think a lot about Unconcluded, the Jennifer Cassie podcast. So Jennifer Cassie went missing about 13 years ago here Mm -hmm. in Orlando. Truly tragic without a trace. Yes. Um, And somebody in Lakeland down the street started their own podcast to try to help find Jennifer Cassie. And we gave it a good round of a couple of episodes and had to stop because nothing was changing. 
she wasn't coming back. You were leading me down dead ends with voicemails that meant nothing. And it was just like, I get you want to be an armchair detective and be part of this, but unless there's something here for me, I gotta bounce. Yeah, you know, Sarah Koenig did start Serial and didn't fully produce all 10 episodes. Remember, she was taking, like, listener feedback. Yeah. She kind of went along. And things would change, and she would say, I have an outline for this episode, but I had to scrap it because something else changed. Yeah. And I learned a new thing. Worked out for her great, but there are other armchair detectives. They're like, I can do what Sarah did. Uh-huh. That's exactly what this article said. Like, when we see Sarah in her car, or listen to Sarah in her car, you know, finding the Best Buy payphone and going through his uh, cell phone records herself... We watch her do it, and it's charming, and people think, oh, I can do that, too. And so they're entering the real world yeah. of trying to solve these true crimes rather than sitting on the other side of their earbuds and listening to kind of the uh, experts do their work. Exactly. I was just about, just about to say, not only does she have all of the money <clears throat> that we've all donated to NPR <laughs> behind her, but she's got Ira Glass, a Producing phenomenal her. producer. It is, like you mentioned, part of This American Life. You know, she has the badge to go and talk to police officers and be able to call Adnan and talk to lawyers. You know, you in Podang, Iowa, who is interested in a murder, does not and truly does need to leave it to the experts. And for as long as we can remember, journalists have always been there reporting on crime. Absolutely. They are just now finding they have to go about it in a different way. But if you're not doing it the Sarah Koenig way and you decide to go about it the My Favorite Murder route, like I mentioned, it's comedy, you have to be very specific about how you're going to talk to me about a murder. You can't just throw up a podcast and say it's murder. Like, what's your point of view? What are you doing? Right. What's the end game? So I hadn't thought about this before, but while we're talking about it, I guess there are two types of true crime shows, probably uh-huh. more than two, but you could separate into two major buckets of I'm going to solve a crime, uh-huh. or I'm going to involve myself in the investigation yeah. of, of something that's unsolved or potentially not solved correctly, like making a murder or yep. serial, uh, and or shows like My Favorite Murder and all of the shows <laughs> on like ID Discovery. The crime is said and done, somebody's in jail, here's the salacious details of what went down. Exactly. And that being the entertainment is, I think, what some people find icky yeah. if you're not into it and they don't understand it. Yeah, because like I said, you just have to have a certain point of view. Like, My Favorite Murder... Two girls tell each other their favorite murder of a city or a place or something, and they are funny and they have a way about themselves. The first degree, they are always going to interview somebody who is one degree away from a murder or a crime. If you're going to do this, there has to be, like I mentioned, a vision. Like, what's your vision board? What's your mission? What is the goal when I listen to your 45-minute podcast? Right. Absolutely. Yeah. And then it can be entertainment, either highbrow or not highbrow, but you know what you're getting into. And so then there's the question, though, like, we kind of been dancing around of who is getting into this. Yeah. And where, what kind of mental stability do fans of this type of stuff have? Um, and obviously, I feel like we're kind of being, you know, not necessarily unearthed, but unmasked as true crime fans. Because I think most of us probably have been this way. For, I'm, I'm including myself, obviously. You know, most people who are big fans of this have always been, and we just now have so much more material Uh that we can go after, almost to the point where maybe we're overdoing it. Do you remember a few weeks ago on the podcast I said, I need a murder break? Because I had just gotten into this rut where I was watching, like, probably 10 ID Discovery shows on Uh demand over, like, the weekend. And I was just kind of coming out in a phase of, like, uh, just so much murder. 
Um, so I found a, a really kind of great article talking about this called, it's from Huffington Post, love which you love. Um, it's by Paige Smith, and it's This Is Your Brain on True Crime Stories. <laughs> so it's from April of this year. And this girl says she's always loved true crime stories, but it wasn't until two years ago uh-huh. she found a podcast called My Favorite Murder and basically forgot all other entertainment in her life. Yeah. She listened to this while she cooked, while she cleaned, while she drove, while she took care of her kids. It was, she constantly was listening to it so much to kind of burnt herself out. So she really started thinking about what is the appeal of this? What happened to me? And is it right or wrong that I'm listening? Yeah. So she kind of breaks down her article into parts. And her first part is uh, the psychological appeal of true crime. So she talks, obviously, about how it's got a resurgence of popularity in the last five years. And she says, gone are the days of staying up late watching 48 hours to get your fix. Now with streaming surface and Apple's free podcast app, hours of horrifying, compelling entertainment are at our fingertips. But are we watching more because of accessibility or is there something more? Uh You know, it's like, so one of the psychological reasons that we, some people are really interested in watching this is to get a glimpse into deviant parts of the, of another person's psyche. Um, She says, we want to understand the motivation behind such cruisome, bizarre and senseless acts of violence. And we want to understand because we are afraid. But the more you watch, the you know, it's like, okay, well, that was that scenario. What other scenario is there? Oh, okay, this one happened, but it went a bit like this. And it says it's so fascinating. And, you know, learning about true crime, she argues, um, appeals to our innate instinct to survive. Uh-huh. It's kind of like where you want to watch more and more and more. So you see all these different scenarios and you know like what to do differently, theoretically, if you are in that scenario. Um, by learning about murder and who the victims are and what situations they're in and who the perpetrators are and kind of like signs to look for, maybe um, we're kind of like teaching ourselves about preventing being a victim ourselves. And she makes a really good point that I think is just kind of a given, but that the majority, at least more than 50%, maybe not a high majority of people watching and intaking true crime is women. Oh, I can't believe that. It's definitely women. And a lot of the stories are told are violence against women Mm -hmm. perpetrated um, by men, sometimes other women, because look, I love a deadly woman show. (laughs) Um, uh, But here's kind of where there's some danger. So you could start to get some anxiety all the time. Like, anytime I go outdoors, you know, like Jennifer Kessie, we think, was just grabbed in, in, yeah. in front of her apartment complex in the morning. Like, yep. you think On murder happens to you at night when you're, you know, vulnerable. Um, so if you are listening to so much of this and becoming anxious to a point where you don't want to leave your house or maybe you don't want to go to family gatherings because you think that you might leave after dark and be alone in a parking lot – you probably need to think about how much you're intaking. Um, So consuming this in excess can, it says, increase your feelings of paranoia and inhibit you from taking risks, even minor ones. So she recommends really, like, periodically step back, say, do I need a murder break? And just make sure that you aren't losing, you aren't changing your behavior based on this fandom. And because you can watch so much, to her point of, like, you can't just wait till Friday. You don't have to wait until 2020 on Friday night to get your true crime fix, you could get it all day. And just like with anything, if you don't moderate yourself, it could lead to an impact in your life. Yeah. I mean, I definitely don't watch as much as you do, if any. I think about the fact that I love unsolved mysteries as a kid. I'm obsessed with, like, 
not even obsessed. I just really enjoy things that are like cult-like, Scientology, this whole Nexium thing. Yes. Mainly because I can't wrap my brain around it. So I want to like dive deep and just get inside of the psyche of like, I guess people who start cults or I don't know. But I guess everyone has their thing. Mm-hmm. For sure. And I think you love that stuff that you don't understand. Um, but at the same time, I think it helps you kind of like navigate against you know, this certain group of people has this group mind think mm-hmm. that reminds me of like a cult, like danger, danger, at least have your, should you know, I ever get into that your situation? Well, yeah, rather than not knowing anything either. about it and getting sucked into something oh, like, oops. Oh, I completely agree. Yeah. I mean, I don't doubt the fact that there is this need to understand it, um, and save yourself kind of. Thing. Mm-hmm. I was telling you the other day, I was listening to Caitlin Bristow from The Bachelorette of Off the Vine with Caitlin Bristow podcast on Olivia Caridi's podcast, Mouthing Off with Olivia. And Olivia was asking Caitlin if she listened to any other podcasts. And she was like, oh, not really. And Olivia was like, I just found this really great one. It's so funny. <laughs> I cannot stop laughing. It's called My Favorite Murder. And I thought to myself, yeah, I know they can be funny, but man. You're just going to, like, put it out there that somebody's murder to you had you in stitches. Be yeah. cool a little bit. I understand, like, their comedy. One of them is a stand-up comic, right? Mm-hmm. Karen Kalea. Karen. And so I see that, but it's like, okay, just like, be a little cool about it. Yeah. So <laughs> Someone so, did die, man. <laughs> yeah. Speaking of my favorite murder, you know, I mentioned earlier that they were going through some stuff, you know, this summer with their podcast and this kind of article that sparked us to talk about this today. So just to kind of, like, let the listeners know, so, like, our podcast news, uh-huh. if you will, is My Favorite Murder in August had to shut down their uh, fan Facebook page, mm-hmm. which at the time of it being shut down had over 238,000 subscribers. That's a surprise. Including me. Yeah. I was on that page, and I do, I remember it one day, all of a sudden, you see a post from Karen, and it's very rare that Karen or Georgia will post Typically, it's people posting about murder or posting about stories, and there were uh, admins that, you know, moderators that when you submitted something, it didn't just show up on the page. Obviously, they looked at it and moderated it. Karen put out a post, and it said, okay, you know, we're light of what's happened. We have fired all of our administrators, and we'll be evaluating soon. And so I was like, what the hell happened? Yeah. And then by the end of the day, the page was gone. Wow. And since then, a ton of different subpages have popped up. Funny story. Listen to any type of My Favorite Murder and you'll kind of get the hint of what's going on there. But basically what I kind of found out doing a little bit of sleuthing on my own is that the moderators were letting through questionable content as far as potentially racist content. And then something, I guess, pretty blatantly racist got posted. And Karen and Georgia, you know, like they're not moderating themselves and they're like, but our names are on it. So they just shut it down. And then on top of that, Separately, they were going through another racial scandal because they've got a line of merchandise. And, you know, one of their taglines is stay out of the forest. Uh They had a shirt with a logo on it of, like, trees and, like, a teepee on it. And they put that out. And, you know, several Native Americans were like, hello, that's not culturally appropriate. Yeah. So they listened and they took it down and they redesigned the t-shirt with a tent, just like yeah, a camping this, tent. Yeah, it should have always been a tent to begin um, with. <laughs> but then somehow accidentally that teepee shirt was still online for sale, even after they said they'd pull it. So they had two things. So they're kind of going through some, some stuff. Yeah. And that's, they are currently starting their fall tour in real life. And their first stop was in Indianapolis. 
And the article that I'm talking about was written by somebody who writes for IndieWeek.com. And like I said, it was a pretty big teardown piece of the podcast in Karen and Georgia, but specifically the fans. And this is kind of the point that I'm getting to, is that sometimes any sort of fandom can ruin the thing that started off being awesome in the first place. And I, my favorite murder is experiencing that, that their fandom is kind of getting out of control. And I will say the author of this piece writes, and I, I agree, you know, their tagline, their big tagline is stay sexy, don't get murdered. And there are murderinos, as the fans are called, out there like spray painting it on highways and graffiti style not and, cool. you know, wearing merchandise in public and not being um, thoughtful of the fact that that may be very triggering yeah. for victims and families of victims. And when people who say, I'm triggered by that, please be more careful, I'll, it has been, it has happened that the, the voracious fans are calling them snowflakes and saying, get over it. You know, oh. this is our, this is our entertainment. This is our show. This is our thing. Yeah. And really ruining it for everybody in that sense. And I think those are the people that, need to moderate themselves. And I think that it's a good lesson to moderate everything. And this is not the first podcast that this has kind of happened to, because when I read about this, it immediately reminded me of you talking about Jackie Schimmel's fan Facebook page for the bitch Bible Uh and how some people really got on there and took it not what it was meant to be. Yeah, so much it was about supposed it. Totally to just me. really be like a fun place to go and bitch. And girls were like going in on each other, starting to absorb Jackie's behavior, how she behaves. She's very specific, mm-hmm. her brand of bitchiness. And I, it was a fan page for her that she was in and would comment every now and then. And it got so out of control that she had to go cre- – she didn't want to create her own page. So like, I don't want to be that person – but I can't be associated with what's going on over here. Girls are attacking other girls, and it was just not moderating, or moderator would decide, I'm going to delete your post, and there was something really wrong with it. She just had beef with that girl. I mean, it was getting out of control. She had to go make her own page. Yeah, there was a lot of infighting on My Favorite Murder as well. I listened to Karen and Georgia. It was episode 135 that came out on August 23rd where they addressed this on their podcast. Uh-huh. And they did talk about how much infighting there was and, like, we can't have that. No. And they had just launched the um, Murderino fan cult, which I'm part of. Yep. And they're like, there's an online forum there. Yeah. And so discussions will not be happening there. We, we do not have a public open page associated with us anymore. We won't have this. I mean, basically what we're trying to say is, guys, when you're on the Rewind page, be cool. <laughs> Please. God, no infighting. Keep, keep it together. Don't be uncool. Just be cool. But, you know, I think that we kind of just covered, like, the arc. Yeah. And, you know, like, podcast or um, true it. crime <laughs> fandom has kind of always been there. Yeah. It has taken off, like, fire since, like, 2010, but really more, like, 14 when Serial came out. Yeah. And it's continuing and showing no signs of slowing down. So, you know, if you're going to take part in this type of entertainment, I think just be mindful of it. I mean, it, I really had never thought before I was reading stuff about the difference between highbrow and uh-huh. lowbrow um, true crime formats, and maybe I should make sure that I'm partaking in equal level of those uh-huh. things rather than Just binging yeah. ID Discovery, you know, listening to a little bit more of that serial type work. And um, also, ta- they were talking about in the lowbrow stuff, like, there is no concern for the families. Yeah. They don't even need the fa- families to go to, you know, interview if 
if they don't want to, but they'll put that story out anyway. No one's asking them for the rights to their mm-hmm. loved one's story, where I think it's a lot different in the highbrow stuff. Yeah. Not necessarily making it better, but I guess just be mindful of what sort of entertainment you're intaking. Yeah. And, you know, as a group of fans, like, don't ruin your favorite thing, you guys. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, at the end of the day, someone died. Yeah. Or was brutally attacked or something. Like you mentioned, it was the worst thing that ever happened to them, their friends, and their fam- their loved ones. Mm-hmm. But it's not new. But it's definitely coming at a higher pace. There's more and more every day. If you have 50 bucks in GarageBand, you too can have a podcast about whatever <laughs> you want. It takes a couple days for iTunes to approve it. But I do think that that is also so part of it that, you know, this bubble of podcasts is not bursting yet. No. Nope. It's going to get bigger and bigger and bigger. And it might burst. We don't know. But I wouldn't be surprised if in the near future we start to see a shift and true crime become its own category. And then things like Serial and Dirty John and really highly produced podcasts can go and live over there and we can start to see things. And maybe that'll like, once there's a category, maybe then people will calm down because you don't see like the wellness category going out of control, like (laughs) freaking out of their fandoms and things like that. Like if you're going to listen to a murder, well then go and listen to like, you know, a Tony Robbins or something. Just Take in as much yeah. as you can of everything, but in moderation. Like drinking. Yeah, you know, I think it's okay to like it. Some people may have a moral non-like yeah. of it, and then you don't have to listen to it. That's yeah. fine. I mean, listen, those movies like The Purge, those terrifying ones, Annabelle, those movies become huge blockbusters. People yeah. are interested in this macabre genre of sorts, things that are dark, because we all don't understand it. This is just a different version of it. I don't intake it myself, mm-hmm. but I still don't think that there's anything wrong with it. I shared with you, I'll always listen to Dirty John or, you know, a serial when they're like the high ones. But if I see something on my favorite murder and it's a murder I've heard of or, you know, the Golden State Killer, I'm like, okay, we know about that one. I'll go take that a listen, take a listen to that. But I'm not going to find like Podunk, Iowa and like listen. Yeah, I will. I know. I'll listen gonna- to Danny Pellegrino deep dive Clueless. <laughs> Which I did this morning, and it's so lovely. Good. It was really lovely. I it was mean shit. shit. It was fantastic. Shall we use that as our transition yes. and do some recaps? You know what? Let's take a murder break and <laughs> talk about some non-murdery shows. Um, you know, if I can go, yes. referencing the fandom, um, I listen to The Morning Toast, nay, The Morning Breath. Uh, What's well, The Morning Breath? Morning Breath. Yeah. Oh my God, who even cares? It's not even on anymore. Um, hosted by Claudia and Jackie Osher, <coughs> Girl With No Job, and Jackie O Problems. And they have a very large fan base. I sure. mean, they've got their own um, Facebook page. Then they've got the Crisp Toasters, and that is for people who are older, the Single Toasters. I mean, all of these different pages. They just took a weekend at camp, like in the Poconos, rented out their old, like, that camp that they used to go to as girls Hilarious. with color wars and, you know, boats and rope courses and invited everybody out. And Fun. so, yeah, they had a huge camp weekend, you know, um, karaoke by the fire and a talent show. And they got about a hundred girls to show up and listen, they did it right. They had in a beer truck that they oh, completely yeah. drained. 
they said they went through probably like 50 cases of rosé. Everybody got merchandise. And girls were carrying around like Nalgene bottles that said the morning toast on it. Just full of beer and rosé. I Dude, mean, these girls... What a Nalgene bottle. What a throwback. I know. So, I mean, these girls were treating their fans right. And they had to take like the next day off from the show <laughs> because they were like destroyed. However, they were back this week. And this past Friday, they had on... And I did share this with you already, but it's just so delicious. Jerry O'Connell. Oh, we love that. Jerry O'Connell is like a more palatable version of Michael Rappaport. <laughs> but I still love Michael, too. Yeah, I still love Michael, but he's a little easier on the eyes. Oh, yeah, there's that. Um, yeah. He's very funny. He's not as fast-talking, though Rappaport's like, Long Island, New York accent yeah, very much thing. works for who I am as a person. But Jerry was on Hawking, his new show, um, Bravo Play by Play, which I believe airs tonight. I think it does, 10 um, o'clock. Monday the 24th on Bravo where it's going to be some guys. And he said there's going to be some girls in the show every now and then too. But like a sports show. Go through like a Tamara Vicky fight. And you know, like pull up the circle. Like what do you think here? Look at her coming in with the evil eye. Flag on the play. Flag on the play. That rosé got spilled. You know, things like that. (laughs) It was so funny. Jerry O'Connell is so great. I will say I also got a pop-up today that there was a bonus episode of Comments by Celebs this week with him. Which... I'm eager to look forward to listen to because I like him. However, uh oh, what? I think Comments by Celebs is one of the smartest Instagram accounts, but their podcast—it's like the girls took a four-year degree in vocal fry. Uh, it's like, yeah. hey guys, I'm Emma, and this is so and so, and we're Comments by Celebs. So hey, how are you? And I'm like, like somebody's got to speak up. Got to get a little faster. I need a little bit more energy behind that voice, girlfriend. This is entertainment. <laughs> Entertain me. Let me entertain. Okay, I'm done. I'm done. <laughs> I was gonna let you go. But no, I mean, no, I know better. But yeah, it's just like, hey, and we're the girls from Comments by Celeb. I'm like, if I have to hear, like, how will Jerry handle that low energy when he's so like, woohoo, Ramona, Bethany. <laughs> But anyway, I just had to have, like, a small podcast complaint. Like, sure. go listen to Comments by Celeb. It is entertaining. But I want you guys, shoot us a note at podcastrwd at gmail and tell me, do you think I'm nuts? Or <laughs> do you like this? Because if so, like I'm happy to the next week. No, no I can't. It's too slow. No. It hurts my brain. No, I'll, I'll I will die. I'll forget my words if I'm talking that slow. I'll can't. forget the whole concept. Cannot. Um, okay, so I was I found, I found like a last minute um, pop up to podcast to talk about, but I have just been so in like my mode, like my own genres of my listening this past week. I really haven't gotten out of my comfort zone and listened yeah. to anything new until today. But I just kind of wanted to, I wanted to mention that clueless pop dive so episode of Danny Pellegrino's show, Everything Iconic. It was fabulous. I no thought, shit, you guys got coke here? <laughs> yeah, this is America. We learned so much as adults listening back <sighs> to clueless of everything that we missed as children. And it's definitely a movie that I quote in my real life often. Uh-huh. And the, the pop culture tropes that come out of that movie that are still like alive. Uh-huh. It's just, it's, you go listen to it. It's you guys classic. Like it. It's I, iconic. It sure is. Um, I also wanted to mention before I do get to my recap that going back to true crime, one of my favorite true crime shows is Sword and Scale, and they do seasons. So um, it's a different episode, but it's so like produced and packaged. His next season just started last week, and his second episode got dropped today. So I listened to that 
and it was like uh, about a dude killing his mom. It was pretty horrific. Yep. And then I just have to say that the final episode of Dr. Death is going to get dropped tomorrow morning. That's probably what I'm going to shower to and listen to in the morning. I can't wait. And I just wanted to remind people if you listened last week or if you didn't, um, Dr. Death is so awesome. Go listen to it. I really recommend it. If you're into true crime and if, you know, you haven't indulged too much lately yeah. and you're not going to lose your shit over it. But anyway, I do want to talk about a, a podcast I had never listened to before. But it was her 272nd episode, so it's not a new podcast by any means. It's new to you. New to me. It's called Stephanie Miller's Happy Hour Podcast. Okay. Have you heard of Stephanie Miller before? I've heard of Stephen Miller. (laughs) Not the same at all, because she is a very liberal, progressive radio host. Not the same person. So the opposite of Stephen Miller from the Trump administration. So he's back in his bat cage. She is on a podcast. She Well, she is a radio host based out of L.A. Oh, okay. I looked her up a little bit. She's syndicated everywhere. I wish we had her in Orlando. She's in Boston, Chicago, New York. But she um, broadcasts out of L.A., and that's, so she has the Stephanie Miller show okay. that she does, I assume, every day. But then she has the Stephanie Miller Happy Hour podcast. This is where she can kick back, have a drink, have a celebrity guest, Fun. swear, and just talk politics, talk about her guests, talk, you know, whatever's going on in the news. Uh-huh. So her guest today was Lawrence Fishburne. Oh, yeah. Who, by the way, I have seen in real life at the LAX um, airport. Uh-huh, baggage claim. I was traveling for business one day, and I was standing with my coworkers. We were waiting for our bags, and somebody was like, is that fucking Lawrence Fishburne over there? And I was like, yeah, yeah, it is. Should we go? No, okay. He got his bag and left, and we're like, leave the celebrity alone. You're in LA. Don't be like that. Um, but anyway, like looking back through just her last week, I guess, or, or I'm sorry, she's a weekly show. So her last like month, she's had Charlie Sheen on, she's had Margaret Cho on, she's had Greg, uh, how do you say that last name? Greg. uh, I don't know what you're saying. Anyway, she's, I mean like, (laughs) like real deal celebs. Um, so looking at the, uh, description of the show, Uh she was like the original sexy liberal, like gets to kick back. So she's got this like producer guy, they have a drink. They have their celebrity, and they just, like, that orange dumb motherfucker. So, like I said, she's liberal, and she makes no bones about it. She's like, I'm drinking to forget Trump, basically. Um, So she, like I said, she had Lawrence Fishburne on. He told some really great stories. She was like, by the way, you're the grandpa on Blackish right now, and I piss off because we're the same age. He's like, yeah, look, I'm only nine years older than Anthony Anderson, Uh but he's like, I get to act from an armchair the whole time. It's fantastic. Um, I gave him a magic band once when they were here filming. Awesome. Yeah. We did magic so you have also Black-ish. seen Lawrence Fishburne yes. in real life. Um, another thing we have in common yes. is best friends. <laughs> um, he told a great story. I didn't realize that Lawrence Fishburne was a child actor. At 14, he was in Apocalypse Now. Now, I've never oh, seen Apocalypse Now. Same but he was in it as were Charlie Sheen and Emilio Estevez. And they shot over in Vietnam, Uh and he was talking about how amazing Martin Sheen is. And I guess he has a reputation in Hollywood that he runs a set in the way that he enforces that everyone respects everybody from the coffee guy up to the biggest star. Nobody is treated any differently. Nobody is better or worse than anybody. And that he's just incredibly kind and open-hearted to everybody Mm -hmm. around him. And so Martin Lawrence said he was on set pretty often because- Lawrence Fishburne? Well, Lawrence Fishburne was in the movie with Charlie Sheen and Emilio Estevez, but that Martin Sheen, being the father mm. of those other two actors, was there on set pretty often. 
And he told this awesome story where he had this monologue about, um, he was 14 and he had this monologue about like looking at a Playboy and stuff and he just couldn't get it. He was like, I was 14. I had actually never seen a Playboy. I had never had sex. Like I couldn't relate to this at all. And he said, Francis made me do it like 50 or 60 times. Did Francis Ford Coppola direct Apocalypse Now? Sounds like I'm going to guess that's the Francis we're talking yeah. about. I could have Googled that before this. But anyway, he said he did it like 50 or 60 times and he still hadn't gotten it. And he's like 14, he's defeated and they're wrapping up and going home for the day and he feels a tap on his shoulder and it's just Martin Sheen and he whispered in his ear, I don't know if anybody's ever told you this, but you're a really good actor. Oh. And he said like that was the dad hug he needed at that moment. Yes. Because he had a tough day at work for a 14 year old. Oh, poor Just buddy. so he was like, I needed that pep talk like perfectly. Okay, so there's this sweet, heartwarming story I had. I have to tell you this fucking joke they kept making the whole episode because they, I think this actually got dropped late last week. Do you recall that our girlfriend Stormy Daniels had an excerpt of her upcoming book released? Yes. And she describes our uh, president's genitals as a certain type of fungus. <laughs> Fungi. So now they are calling him the Porcini president. <laughs> and somebody was like, what about the Portobello president? And they're like, no, those are big mushrooms. Those are big. He's the Porcini president. And they called him that the whole time, and it was hilarious. I bet that's really funny for people who are up on mushrooms and said, I don't eat them. I don't know exactly what a Porcini is. <laughs> like skinny little, oh, like, okay. twirly mushrooms. Gross, gross, gross. <laughs> anyway, Stephanie Miller's Happy Hour Podcast. It's a good time. That and sounds like it. I'm like, definitely going to check it out. <laughs> if you voted for Trump, you probably don't want to listen. 100% not. Unless you're sorry. Yeah. <laughs> also, why are you listening you? to this podcast? Also, I don't know why you're here. <laughs> um, but yeah, so that's what I have for this week. Very nice. Yeah. Awesome. Well, it's Monday in our eyes. We're yeah. We're going to drop this on Tuesday. We are checking out the podcast movement. It's coming here to Orlando. So mm-hmm. we're going to go mingle with some other podcasters, make some pod friends, is our favorite thing to do. We can't wait. We'll tell you about it next week yes, when we come back. Absolutely. So everybody have a wonderful week. Mm-hmm. Go subscribe, rate five stars, slide into our DMs, do what you got to do. Hit us up, Laura. Yeah, Laura. Can't wait to meet you. And until then, do not forget to be kind and rewind. Bye, Bye guys. guys.